Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week, I have a very, very, very special guest. It's one of my oldest friends. Her name is Camille Graves. I've never called her that. I call her Cami, so it's even weird to pronounce it that way. But anyway... Uh, Camille is a managing editor at Wiley and lives in Indianapolis, Indiana with her daughter, Myla. She loves the outdoors and is an aspiring plant mom and writer. And I wouldn't call her aspiring. She's a bona fide writer. Um, and that's how we met. We met in writing school. So how are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. Awesome. Can I call you Cammy for the interview? Because it's going to be really hard for me to call you your real name. Of course, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I have so many friends who have like given different names at different points, and like I understand all of it, but it's so hard for me. Like I have one friend from high school, and I still have to call him by his last name, and he's like, "All right, dude, I'm I'm forty now. Let's." <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, it's so good to talk to you for the show. Um, and we recently got in good contact about a year ago during COVID, so it's just been so fun, and I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Um, good. I'm glad. And. Uh, we start with our standard question I always ask everyone, which is how old are you? Uh, where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? Okay, um, I am 35. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, I consider myself a millennial. Awesome. And when I met you, it was in grad school, and you were, I guess, four or five years younger than me. And then we had another friend who we all lived together. We had like an apartment with three bedrooms. and he was like the youngest of the bunch. So it's funny that at the time, I think I was like barely 30 and you were in your 20s and he was in his <laughs> early 20s and now we're at the next shift. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I remember then, though, this was like the very first time I ever started noticing that there might be a difference between generations because I felt like you and I were pretty similar and we had like whatever. But the guy who was younger than us, like he was absurdly on some other divide <laughs> and it wasn't that we couldn't get along or didn't get along it was just more that like like his phone was important and he liked technology and he got jokes i didn't get <laughs> and you got both so uh yeah so i think you're really on the cusp between two um is what i'm trying to say yeah i remember him being like cooler than i thought that i was <laughs> <laughs> yeah very cool. And I'm not using his name only out of respect, but I know he wouldn't care. But anyway, he's a great guy. Anyway, this interview is about you. Um, and so that was all interesting. But I do want to kind of get into your background. Um, I used to brag about you incessantly and you didn't put in your bio. So I'm going to do it now, which is you went to Harvard and like you actually went to Harvard. Like you, you don't have like absurdly rich parents who like built a military wing or an airport. Um, and so I always bragged about you and you're very humble and you were humble. And I know you're not going to like give me the answers I want to hear, <laughs> but I, I do kind of want to preface this part of the interview with that because I do think your background and all of that is relevant because you're like a brilliant student and you went to Harvard and you went on and did many other things. And when you said you're an aspiring writer, that's why I'm bringing all this up is you you were and remain one of the best writers I've ever read. So oh wow. So I would like to know, <laughs> growing up and now being thirty five and all that, like how does education and all that play into your life? Well, I would say growing up, education was probably the foremost thing in my mind. Uh, for I would say even up until I was finished with grad school, and even when I was finished with grad school, I wanted to just stay in school forever. Um, but you do mention my background and I grew up in Indianapolis on the Near East Side, which if you're familiar at all with Indianapolis, you know that when you describe Near East Side, people think of um, 
the bad part of town. So that was my upbringing. And I was obsessed with uh, escaping it. So I thought about school all the time. I was obsessed with, you know, extracurriculars, homework, impressing my teachers, going on college visits. Um, so education played a huge role in my life. And uh, I guess that's kind of how I ended up at Harvard, which I actually sometimes forget that I went there, which is crazy because I was so obsessed with it before I got there. Um, but yeah, I guess it's funny that it's so easy to forget because for me, um, even though I did think of getting into college as a means to an end of, you know, kind of escaping my upbringing at the same time, uh, I really just think about learning a lot and knowledge a lot. So that's kind of more where I am now, where I'm just more interested in in knowledge. Yeah, which is awesome. And that's kind of why I wanted to start with that question, because as vague and weird as it might have sounded to our audience and even to you, to me, I see spirituality and knowledge and education as like interrelated fields, but not intra-related. And so I wanted to ask you that before I asked you the next question, which is, were you raised religious? Um, and if so, and if not, how did that affect you? I was raised incredibly religious actually um i so i'm black <laughs> and when i was very small um, my my mother attended a pentecostal church which you know for black people um is a huge part of a lot of black religion it's uh, very charismatic very evangelistic um and that was the first part of my upbringing and we kind of got away from pentecostalism but um we were still very involved in the church. And it was actually in college that I started to branch out and learn more about other people. And so I am not religious at all anymore, actually. That's incredible. I had no idea about any of that. And I've met your family and I have uh, not stereotypes that are like negative, but I have stereotypes of that religion. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I never, ever knew that. That's really interesting. Was it, uh, I'm sure, because you alluded to it, like my stereotypes is like, very boisterous, very like involved, but also just like the the other side of that is it's very not strict, like mean strict, but it does seem to be like, hey, there's a hell and you will go there. Am I incorrect or can you kind of like elucidate me in our audience? Um, that is correct. And I think that's part of why my family kind of as a whole um, started moving away from that, even though my grandparents were always a part of a Pentecostal church. They actually weren't very judgmental people. Um, and so I think my mom and a lot of my aunts kind of started to move away from having more strict beliefs because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a millennial and a lot of members of our family turned out to be, um, you know, to have different belief sets, to have different identities. Um, and so I think members of my family tried to take a less judgmental stance on each other. And that kind of changed how we viewed each other and how we viewed our beliefs. That's really cool. Wow. That's really interesting. And then I'm kind of curious. Um, and again, this really is all headed somewhere, I swear. <laughs> um, I have, I like to ask a lot of these questions to then talk about how you are spiritual now or if not and all that. So um, you're raised Pentecostal. You're from, quote unquote, the wrong side of town. And you make it all the way to Harvard on your own skill set. Like, I mean, you were determined, you're smart as a whistle, but that's not enough. You also got the grades, wrote the essays, took the tours and all that. So what was it like to be a young black woman at Harvard who's from a Pentecostal that side of town? Like, were people, 
less more or not even at all interested in you? Like, did you feel like you had that as an identity? Was that a part of your development? Um, well, it was a complete culture shock. And like I said, I when I went to Harvard, I was introduced to so many different people. I at first tried joining religious organizations, and I thought that was how I would find my group, my people. And I kind of ended up finding a group of friends who were from completely different walks of life. Um, some of them were, you know, they were people of different races. Some of them were wealthy. Some of them were more from a background closer to mine. Um, some of them were, you know, LGBTQ. Some of them were, I, there was even a girl who was Mormon. So um, I would say that my views about, my views changed quite a lot in college. It wasn't just the academics. I would say um, I learned more about people at Harvard, I think, than I learned about um, books and my my subjects matter, <laughs> my major, yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, okay, so let's flash forward to now. Um, I believe you said you were 35. It's not important, but I just want to keep the audience um, back in this temporal dimension now. Um, you said you're not religious, but are you spiritual? I think I am spiritual, yeah. Um, I, like, pray a lot. Um, I don't always know who I'm praying to. Sometimes I'm reaching out to, like, the universe. Sometimes I talk to my ancestors. I talk to my grandma a lot. So yeah, I think I definitely am spiritual. I just don't really have it pinned down what I actually believe. Okay, now I'm going to get into the actual question, the main question of the whole show, which is what do you think happens when you die? And then I'm going to start tying all of these weird ass questions I asked together. So uh, I always try to make it as specific as possible. I'm not asking what do you think happens to humans when they die? I'm, I'm literally asking you in your own version of your life, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? I can answer this like any way that I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I am collecting every version of this answer until this show stops airing. So yeah, you're, I believe you're guest number 70 something. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this might be a kind of weird answer, but I think that when I die, I will go back to my grandparents' house. Um, and that will be where I spend eternity um, with my loved ones. That is one of the coolest answers I've ever heard. I love that. I absolutely love that. <laughs> okay. So like, let me, uh, let me ask it from a psychological and metaphysical angle. Do you think that you're actually going to be there? Or do you think like your brain is just going to be giving you this like fake hallucination for eternity? Um, that's an interesting question. Because I think I think if that's where your brain is giving you a fake hallucination, then that's really where you are. <laughs> yeah. So, both. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, okay. So I guess that begs the next question would be right now here on this phone call, am I imagining this existence and are you not real or are you real imagining it or are we both imagining it or, or obviously a huge or none of the above? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I think anything is possible. I do. I do think I'm really here. I think you and I are really here and like, we're not imagining it. Yeah. All right. And so like in your scenario, you, you I mean, and again, you gave a great answer. I'm not picking it apart. I'm more trying to figure out like the nuances between here and there. So like, as your body is failing, let's just pretend that this death just to be nice and everything is a very pleasant one. Like you're, you're very old, as old as you feel like being, you know, your daughter's at your side, anyone else you you love is there and you're just, you know, eyes are fluttering shut. Your heart's kind of slowing down. So do you like drift and then you're in a physical body with your grandparents and are you like a little child or are you all of age? Hmm. I think I probably, 
I mean, maybe it's like a changing thing where you are whatever you want to be in the moment. So if I think I want to be a little kid again, then maybe I'm a little kid. And then next I want to be a mom with my newborn infant again. And so that's what I am. That's really cool. Yeah. And I've, I've read like versions of this and that's why I asked if you thought this was real too, because some say, Oh no, 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 it's all imaginary. And then there's a lot of texts like Eastern Western mixed bag texts that say, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you think like the afterlife is, that's totally what's going to happen to you. But they don't really ever get into like whether it's real or not real and whether this is real or not real. Well, some of them do, but, um, but you've, you've blown my mind. I mean, I'm, I'm literally like fixated so heavily on this because I, well, I remember in our friendship, not that our friendship is over, but like when we lived together for, I think it was three years. Um, I mean, you know, you were my best friend for like that whole time and we talked a lot. And I remember the profound love you had for your grandparents was like off the hook and in a very positive way. It was really cool. So this like makes sense to me. And it's just interesting because I'm wondering like, okay, so you have a daughter, Myla, and I have two children. And so like, at the time you loved your grandparents and this fondness for this, this place in life, you had no daughter. So like, does she like wait till she dies and then she can show up there or does she get to go to her own place or is she going to be in a place with you and then you're also not there and you're in your place with your grandparents? I like to think that we all get to go to our own place, but maybe we show up in each other's places too, you know, because I think like in the afternoon, in, in the afterlife, maybe there's no limits and you can be in more place than more places than one, because I would love to be in her place too, but I don't want to restrict her to my place you know so yeah so like your afterlife does not sound selfish at all it's just more interesting to me that like you're giving room to each person to have their own i'm going to use this word fantasy um meaning like a very positive place that you go do you think some people go to an unpositive fantasy oh that's a great question um i guess i think it's possible that some people who aren't able to imagine a better place for themselves maybe they do go to a bad place. Um, you know, I do know people who are very negative and very, um, I would say not very nice. <laughs> and I imagine that those people, you know, they create kind of a, they, they create kind of a hell for themselves on earth, right? And so I wonder if it's even possible for them to imagine a hell for, or, you know, a heaven for themselves in the afterlife. Maybe they, they're only capable of ever imagining a hell yeah i'm just kind of seeing like all of this now on this like weird meta scale and i'm I'm starting to wonder you and i uh, the term wasn't really like active back then but we certainly were into social justice yeah. when we met and I'm, I'm assuming you still are and obviously i am so i'm curious like what is there like a spiritual consequence to bad behavior on earth like and i'm gonna some i'm gonna say a statement of bad behavior just so it's shortens the argument like i'm gonna say like you literally like purposely hurt someone else okay um that's a question that's, i don't know how to answer that one because um i have known people like i said who were just unpleasant people um it's funny that we're talking about death you, you know that's what your podcast is about but in the past couple of years my grandmother died but my dad died as well oh i'm so sorry oh that you know it's <laughs> it's it's okay um my dad was actually a really unpleasant person. And it's funny when I compare his death to my mom's, to my grandmother's death, because my grandmother was a really sweet and kind person. And, you know, I never heard her say a bad or a judgmental word about anyone. I never heard her 
saw her refuse help to anyone, but my dad was almost the complete opposite. And when my grandmother died, she was completely surrounded by family. My cousins came from across the country. I had a cousin come from Germany and she was in the geriatric ward of a hospital. And uh, before she went to one of my aunt's house for hospice, and we were all with her there for the entire time. I mean, the nurses <laughs> got tired of us. Um, I think at one point there were like 30 people in her room. Actually, we couldn't even all fit in her room. We kind of had to filter in and out. We were always with her overnight. Um, someone was always on duty. But with my dad, he uh, passed away by himself in a nursing home and no one could visit him because of COVID. But my grandmother died literally the month before COVID started. And I don't know where my dad is now. I don't really know where my grandma is, but I do know that I saw the way each of them died. And my grandmother had the best death that I could ever think of. And my dad had the worst. That's, I mean, I got goosebumps. My heart is moving in many directions. And actually, earlier, I almost stopped myself to say, because I said I'd met your whole family and I was lying. I hadn't, I never met your dad, but I didn't want to get into your dad. So I just like let it go. But that's really interesting because now that he's a part of this conversation and this podcast, I feel like that actually was not a coincidence. And that was definitely just really profound to hear because you, you tried, this is me telling you what I heard from you in our twenties. Um, you tried very hard to have a good relationship with your dad and repeatedly, and uh, I don't need you to get into all that. That's not, I'm not trying to blow, blow up your space here or anything. But I do think what you just said is such an important thing for people to hear and think about, which is like, you will, if you have sycophants on the way up, they probably won't be there on the way down. And if you have real friends, they probably will be. But I am curious, um, did your dad like have any like last words? Did you have like a conversation with him? Was there any like finality? Um, yes and no. We did talk on the phone once um, while he was in the nursing home. And I guess I, I kind of told him, I didn't really mean it, but I told him that I was sorry because we hadn't spoken in about three years. And, uh, you know, he said it was okay, but it didn't feel like a genuine conversation. And I wonder how much other people spoke to him before he died because he was on bad terms with a lot of people. So it just kind of seems like there was no finality to it. It was just more of a, I know you're about to die, so I'll just say something just to get it out there. For the most part, he spent his uh, the final months of his life alone with his own thoughts. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this is just, again, it's like, this is why I do this podcast. It's just, I think it's important for us to all think about this. And uh, I guess my, my next question, I don't want to get like, into your dad specifically, because he's just like a person you gave as an example. But I do want to get into this idea of like, like your dad wasn't like a murderer, like your dad wasn't like an awful, awful person. Uh, or at least that's my understanding. So I am still kind of curious about like, because one of the things I'm trying to figure out through this show is how is morality affected by our spirituality? So um, you're a very good person. You're not without flaws. And of course you've like lost your temper and yelled at people in your life and shit like that as, as if I a million times more probably. Um, and, and so my point is to say, I still consider myself a good person. I consider you, you a good person. Um, and then we were talking about like quote unquote bad people, which I guess would be more to say people who behave badly. I think that's more fair. Um, so do you think there is like an incentive spiritually to living a good life, quote unquote, or do you think that, 
if you're a positive thinking person who does negative actions, you still get to go to a positive place. I think if you're a positive thinking person who does negative actions, then I think you still can go to a good place. Um, I, I don't think that intentions are everything. I think that the outcome of your actions are important, but at the same time, as long as you're learning from your actions, as long as your intentions change with your behavior um, or your behavior changes regardless of your intentions, then you can have a good outcome. That's cool. Yeah. I think you're really close to answering all my questions that I have for you about this very, very specific topic. But um, so I brought up social justice because I did want to ask you, like, nothing's changed. Like we, we knew each other 10, 15 years ago and people were talking about the same things they're talking about now. Um, I mean, you could cite like lower or higher violent rates and crimes and all that, and you could throw statistics in either direction. But the point is, you know, there's still like this looming feeling of some people get a lot more than others and that doesn't feel fair. And that's why the word justice is involved. And then this is in society and that's why I call it social justice. So I am curious, do you think that any of this quote unquote shit really matters or do you think it's just something we do while we're here? Like what, what is your like epic opinion of like the human life? Um, I think it absolutely matters because, you know, our lives are really all we know that we have. We can all say what we think happens in the afterlife, but we don't know. So really all that we have is our time here on this earth. And I think that if you're not putting some effort into leaving a positive legacy, into changing things for the better for other people, especially for future generations, then you know, you're not creating a chance for other people to have a good life. Um, and I just think that's so important. You know, I think about my daughter and the world that we're leaving for her and her generation, not just her. Um, and I think that I don't want her to suffer. I don't want her peers to suffer. Um, and that's why social justice is important to me because if I don't do something to change things, then I'm not leaving a better world for them. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm inspired. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, are you concerned more or less or the same about like what's going on in the world? So I'm not asking you to get specific. It's the opposite. I want you to be less specific. Um, like just what is your like current concern level with like, are, are humans in general trying their best right now? No, <laughs> no. I mean, I think some of us are, some of us aren't. Um, I am concerned, but I also have a lot of hope. Uh, I think that, you know, you, when you look at like Generation Z and you see they have a lot of anxiety, but I think they also have a lot of energy. And so I'm hoping that their generation and our kids' generation are, um, I believe in them and I believe that that we can move towards a better, you know, world. So I'm concerned and I do think that there are enough people who are concerned to change things for the better. Yeah. I do want to ask one more question because I think you're an ambassador of goodwill and this will be hopefully effective because it's a question I want people to think about a lot. You said at the beginning or close to the beginning of the podcast that you grew up in like the bad part of town and there's a lot of stereotypes in America about what creates the bad part of town and why the bad part of town sustains itself. And there's just a million different excuses and some of them support it, some are anti it, and there's just, it's all chaotic. But very rarely do I ever hear a person who is from it, left it, and then still knows it because you're not like in it, in it, but like you're back in Indiana. And like, so I'm curious, what is your 
suggestion to people who have never had any interaction with the wrong side of town? Like, what is your suggestion to those people, people specifically? My suggestion would be to, um, I think, to try to branch out and to meet people. Um, and it doesn't matter who you meet, really. It's not like you have to go and volunteer at a homeless shelter or go out of your way to try to, you know, volunteer with underprivileged youth or whatever. Um, but when you really look at people and observe people from different walks of life, I think that you find that, you know, all people are kind of the same, but all people are different. And there's no, there's no like stereotype that really holds up once you really get to know people from different walks of life. That's beautiful. Wow. That's really cool. I was going to ask you to flip it, but you already did. I was going to say, and what would be your advice to the people from the bad side who never get to see the people at Harvard, but you just totally answered it. So that was awesome. Um, so since you're not on social media, but you are willing to put yourself out there on this podcast, this is kind of like a platform to say something. And I would say our audience is full of not like-minded, meaning like everyone believes the same thing as each other, but everyone who's listening to this is obviously curious and open-minded. So what would you like to say to them? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I think, um, oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, I guess I just think that the most important thing is to really truly be try try to be kind, you know, like people always say, Oh, you know, try to do what's right and try to be a good person and everything. But I think that being kind is really hard and it's easy to say, be kind, but it's really hard to do. And so I would say that you really have to put a lot of effort and hard work into really truly being kind. That's incredible. That's very profound. Um, well, Cammy, thank you so much. This was incredible. Um, I have no social media of yours to plug. So I will just say thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. You have been an excellent guest and uh, a guest I've been trying to get for a very long time. And not that you said no, but you've just been very busy. So I'm so thankful for you for making time for us. And uh, for all of you listening at home, you've been listening to another episode of Coffin Talk. My name is Mike Oppenheim. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and to go to MikeyOp.com and sign up for the weekly newsletter. And to our audience, we will see you soon. And then I see that you see me And I see you hear this tune And I feel that you're near me And I sing you are my moon